Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and this is part two of my RSNA special. When I described to you previously that uh, I had uh, done this presentation on RSNA on cardiac CT, and these were the interesting cases in cardiac CTA. So let's look at the second half of the cases. And this first example, I showed you. Th I showed you this case, or I showed them this case, and um, I had this question to ask, and I said, based on looking at this CT. And what we're looking at, obviously, is a calcium scoring study. And you can see that there's calcium present. So I said that based on this case, um, what of the following is true? Uh, are you required to do a calcium score before performing a CTA? And in fact, most people said you were. Well, the answer is there is no guideline telling you to do that. Some people do. Some people don't. We've surveyed that. Uh, one of the reasons people have stopped doing it is if you're going to do a coronary CTA, what's the point? You're going to get the best detail. And the dose now of the calcium score almost approaches the dose of the CCTA. So people would say no. Other people will say yes, some doctors like it. It's a way of uh, being able to place patients in different categories, even if their coronary CTA would show no stenosis in terms of risk stratification. But I think more and more people are not doing it. When I asked the audience if people were doing it, most of them said they were still. Now, I had the second question. Based on this image and an Agnes score of 137, the likelihood of significant stenosis of the LAD is over 50%, 25 to 49, under 25, or impossible to determine. And of course, the answer is impossible to determine. The thing about the Agnes scoring is we use it for risk stratification you cannot really judge degree of stenosis. Sometimes patients have no plaque, like this study, uh, no calcified plaque, and they have significant stenosis. And sometimes patients have very high Agassiz scores, and they have no evidence of stenosis present. So again, you're looking at two different things. Do not confuse the two. And again, calcium scores add prognostic value to standard risk factors, serum markers, but and can guide therapy but it's important to remember this article by Kelly nicely showed that even in patients with negative scores is not uncommon for patients to have plaque non-calcified and to have stenosis even significant stenosis so again something important now to really match that case I'll show you this case Agnes score of 1186 what do you do now there was a lot of consideration saying that if you had a very high Agnes score People said typically 1,000, should you or should you not do a coronary CTA? Some people will say not to. Well, most people, in fact, say they are concerned, but most will do the study. And this is a good example because you can see in this patient, we see a significant stenosis in the LAD, greater than 70%, nearly 90%. And when you look at the full sequence of images, the calcifications were problematic, but did not stop me from making the correct diagnosis, and this patient was stented the same day. So again, with calcification, it's going to take you longer to do the study. It will be more time-consuming, and sometimes certain areas you're not going to be able to really define, and of course we recognize that perhaps you can overcall disease, and I do mention that. And although most people did say that they would consider not doing a study, in our survey, everybody still did the examination. There's an article by Harvey Hecht making the point that there is no upper limit that applies to all patients in imaging centers for calcium scoring, and that when you don't have that much experience with cardiac CTA, perhaps uh, a high calcium score is very problematic. With more experience, 
it should be less of a problem. And with better software, it indeed is less of a problem. And there have been many different articles speaking about this. Single source, dual source has a little bit less problems, but still calcium scoring is problematic with dual source imaging. And the issue typically is overestimation of degree of stenosis. So again, with calcification, there is all sorts of problems. Okay, what else? I asked about this case and um, what is the vessel at the arrow here. And I just wanted to show you this nice vessel coming off the patient's uh, right cusp with the right coronary artery, the nodal branch. So again, something, uh, uh, a very common variation, nothing to really worry about. And I asked you what's, um, here's just another example pointing to that branch. Now, I did also uh, make the point um, when you look at the patient's right coronary arteries, there are a number of these smaller branches you can see. Some are rising off the vessel itself, some are rising from the cusp. And again, here's just one more example of that. I asked you a second vessel, what's the vessel of the arrow? And you can see very nicely the vessel coming off, going posteriorly. And that's going to be at the arrow right here. That's going to be the SA nodal branch. And that branch typically comes off the right coronary, which you can see there, but can arise from the circumflex is one of the variations. And here it is nicely off the circumflex. It's not a problem. It's going posteriorly. It's not going to be causing any issues, but again, something to recognize. And that was the answer very nicely there, that it is the SA nodal branch. And here I'll just roll through those images again, just to show you it's coming off the right coronary or coming off the circumflex. Okay, very nice. Another case, hypertension, 87-year-old, negative stress echo, what's the diagnosis? And you can see very nicely, as you look at the images, what is that enhancing structure that's holding on to the contrast that's in the region of the circumflex coronary artery? And as I roll through the images, you recognize that that's a coronary artery aneurysm. And so you can see that that would be the B diagnosis. Now, I'll show you the images again so you can recognize it. Coronary artery aneurysms can look like this, though they have a range of appearances. It's defined as a 50% or greater increase in coronary artery diameter compared to adjacent segments. Statistically, it's most common in the right coronary and second most common in the LAD. Now, if you ask for causes of aneurysms, worldwide, it's going to be Kawasaki's disease, though all of these things can cause aneurysms. Uh, in the U.S., the most common is atherosclerotic disease. And again, here's a long list of laundry list of things, polyarthritis nodosa, Takayashu's. A couple points to remind you, Kawasaki's, young children, male greater than female, most common in Asians, especially Japanese. It's also known as mucutaneous lymph node syndrome and has specific clinical presentations. Fever for five days or more without cause, and four of the following. Uh, conjunctival injection bilaterally, mucous membrane changes, the so-called strawberry tongue, erythema abnormalities of the palms or soles of the feet or hands, rash, cervical lymphadenopathy. And what's important about Kawasaki's disease, it has significant cardiac abnormalities in about a third or more of cases, and one of them is coronary artery aneurysms. It's important that up to 25% of patients who are not treated correctly will get aneurysms within the first two weeks with a mortality rate at that point and later on. 
Aneurysms are more common in the proximal than distal coronary arteries, and these aneurysms can thrombose, which results in sudden death. Vascular complication rate is decreased with proper therapy, with this aspirin and intravenous immune globulin therapy to around 5% for aneurysm. So a five-fold improvement by giving the right medication. And these aneurysms can be multiple. Here's a nice example of a patient who's now 11, had Kawasaki's at eight months. A very nice aneurysm in the patient's left main coronary artery. And here it is with a little bit of a cone down view. And another example of a patient with a right coronary artery aneurysm, in fact, two aneurysms in the right coronary artery, Kawasaki's, the aneurysms often will calcify as it did in this case. So there are a number of other causes for coronary artery aneurysms, uh, but think Kawasaki's in the right population, and CT's been shown even at 16 slice to indeed be very accurate. I'll mention also Takayashu's disease or Takayashu's aortitis, and that also can get coronary artery aneurysms up to about 15% of cases. Uh, population is usually under age 30, and it's more common in females by 8 to 1. These patients are treated aggressively with steroids, typically. The thing about, Kawas about Takayashu's as opposed to Kawasaki's is we typically think about Takayashu's as involving the vessels off the arch. And indeed, the left subclavian is the most common vessel involved. But here's just a nice example. Coronary artery aneurysm can be a number of causes, but this was indeed due to Takayashu's. Now, sometimes the aneurysms, particularly atherosclerotic aneurysms, are large. In this case, you can see the aneurysm, and it has a central lumen. It's nearly occluded, however, at certain portions. You can see that here. Uh, you can see another example uh, of a circumflex coronary artery aneurysm here, and you see the vessel is markedly enlarged, though the lumen is preserved, as you can see on these curved planar reconstructions. In terms of management, medical therapy is most commonly used, but if medical therapy fails, then grafts or stent placement are an alternative. Okay, very nice uh, series of cases there. What else? 25-year-old, EKG abnormalities, what's the best diagnosis? And when you look here, the key is to look at the patient's left coronary artery. Where is it arising from? It should be coming off the aortic root off the uh, left cusp, but it's coming off the pulmonary artery. And you can see it here, again, coming off the pulmonary artery. And here it is in 3D imaging. You see, first of all, a large right coronary, but the pulmonary is coming off the, but the pulmonary is giving rise to the LAD, or left main. And I asked you what's the best answer, and the best answer was anomalous origin of left coronary artery. And uh, this is just a really good case. There's a whole uh, eponym and a whole series of images, Alcapa. And just to show you that information again, take a look at the coronaries again. When you look quickly, you say, oh, I don't see anything, but there it is coming off the pulmonary artery, the left main coronary. Just a beautiful example. And there was a great article about this Alcapa syndrome, anomalous origin of the left coronary from the pulmonary artery. It occurs in children or adults, most commonly in children, but because of where it sits in children, 90% experience an infarct and die within the first year of life. And why is that? Well, as the pulmonary artery pressure drops after birth, there's decreased flow to the left ventricular myocardium. 
This leads to congestive heart failure, mitral insufficiency, secondary to myocardial infarction, and the patients typically die early. Now, the case I showed you, obviously, the patient lived to adulthood, and to survive past infancy, you need to develop significant circulation from the right to the left coronary. So flow to the left coronary artery is often insufficient in patients, and they can develop dysrhythmias, which can result in sudden death. But the ones who survive will often have secondary findings, as in this case, there's a big right coronary artery. You could see dilated intercoronary collateral vessels, and LV hypertrophy dilatation is not uncommon. So again, it's very important to look carefully. This is uncommon, obviously, but always look at the origin of the coronary vessels. I've given some of the talks on CTSS where we've spoken about anomalous origins, the left coronary off the right cusp, whether it's a malignant configuration, does it track between the uh, aortic root and the pulmonary outflow tract, or does it go posteriorly? Again, you should be aware of these variations, but this is just a very nice, very uncommon case. And again, read this article. Alcampa syndrome is a rare anomaly in which the LCA originates from the main pulmonary artery. The diagnosis can be made with EKG-gated MDCT and MR imaging. And this article has very nice images uh, and makes some very, very good points. Let me show you um, a couple uh, other cases just to remind you about some of the variations. Here's a nice example where the circumflex comes off the patient's RCA and you, you see it looking down and there it is tracking posteriorly between the ascending aorta and the left atrium. This is in a situation where it's not going to be problematic. Nothing will be done. The patient will be asymptomatic. Very nice example. Or this case, another variation, the LAD and CERC arise directly off the left cusp. There is no main coronary artery. Just a very nice example in that regard. Or what about this case? This is a wonderful, wonderful case. You look quickly, what's going on? What's that vessel? That's the LAD coming off the right, but you can swear there is an LAD coming anteriorly off the left main. Well, when you start looking carefully, that indeed is true. The patient does have some branching, though it quickly drops off off the LAD toward the LV. But look at the reconstructions. Look at that large branch coming from right to left to feed the left anterior descending circulation around the inferior aspect of the heart coming off the patient's right coronary. Here it is, just some other examples, just very, very nice visualizations. Now, I couldn't end without showing you malignant configuration. Here's a patient's right coronary off the left cusp. Look how the right coronary sits between the ascending aorta and the pulmonary outflow tract. Just think about the patient exercising. It's going to get compressed. You can see it's a long segment and so significant involvement. So with that, these patients, by the way, I should say, will get reimplantation or tunneling to fix this process. So with that, I've showed you a whole bunch of great cases. I think it's a great start to 2010. Let me say thank you, and let me say welcome to 2010 and 51 great weeks of lectures to follow. Have a great day, and hopefully you had a happy and healthy new year. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.